Welcome to the Going to 11 podcast, where we discuss all aspects of audio production from the stage to the studio. My name is Dave Stagel. I'm a mix engineer based in Atlanta. And once again, I am joined by my good friend and engineer, Marco Garino. This is our fifth episode, and we're going to pick right up where we left off last time discussing drum microphones. So at the end of our last episode, we were talking about snare mics. So I guess the kick drum mic would be the next thing to talk about. Marco, you're not just an engineer. You're also a drummer. Where should we start talking about kick drums? I'll, I'll, I'll lead into it. There's kind of a twofold thing, maybe even threefold, because to me, you have a kick in sound, not specifically the microphone, but a, you know, more batter uh, on the head forward kick in sound. You have the port sound and that has its own thing. And then you have either, if you're in a studio environment, a condenser maybe on the front of the head, like a large diaphragm condenser or a sub kick or something like that. Cause I don't I mean, I don't know that I could get away with putting a large diaphragm on a kick live, <laughs> but so with those three elements, you know, I think the go-to I would probably say for most people would be a beta 91 or the Sennheiser equivalent than the, the uh, E901. But what are, what's your kind of go-to kick mic scenario or maybe even kick mic placement because that can have a lot to deal with uh, the sounds coming out of those two positions. The kick mic for me is something I'm not super picky about. Usually I just use whatever is there. I actually, I own a D112. I don't know why, like I can't remember why I bought (laughs) a D112 because it's the only drum microphone. I, I mean, I've got some 57s laying around, but I've never had like a drum mic pack, but for some reason I have this D112. <laughs> I went to use it. I, I found it in my studio and I went on a gig, I don't know, within the last year, I think. And I was like, I hadn't used it in, oh, it was probably 15 years or more. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, maybe I know a whole lot more about what I'm doing now. I'd be curious, what does this actually sound like? And I put it in, and I I think I used it, but it hasn't been used since. Um, It was Mm -hmm. a one-time thing. It just wasn't my favorite mic, but I'll use whatever. The thing with the kick drum, I think, for me, that's different maybe than what some people do is I don't like using multiple microphones a lot of the time. Mm. To me, the phase issues I run into with it are really a pain in the butt to get right. And sometimes it'll be like, I'll sit there and all I'll have to really play with or time to play with anyways is I've just, I'm just flipping polarity on a console between like mm-hmm. an inside mic and an outside. The insides are usually Beta 91s or uh, I run into a lot of Sennheiser 901s, which is kind of mm-hmm. the Sennheiser equivalent of the Beta 91. It's right. a plate kind of boundary, mic boundary thing, microphone yeah. looking thing. And... Sometimes I'll have those microphones in there and I'm flipping polarity on the outside mic and it's like neither one of them works. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that one sounds terrible and then I flip it and that's a different kind of terrible. So I'll just end up dumping that second mic, which kind of goes back to the whole thing. You know, when I was saying I like putting up lots and lots of mics because it's options Mm -hmm. and things to experiment with. 
But a lot of times I don't use the multiple mics because the phase problems end up, for me, causing more of an issue than anything. Well, yeah, yeah, and and with a kick drum mic especially, like I want to get that drum as tight as possible. And the minute you start running into phase problems, everybody th- everybody's thinking about frequency cancellation. So you're losing mm-hmm. the low end. And it's like, yeah, but even if you don't, sometimes you're smearing the right. impact of the drum in the process too. And now you're not going to get that tight, punchy kick. Y- you can, it can be done. But if I'm not in a situation where there's a rehearsal and there's time to move things around a lot of the time, a lot of the time I might walk into a situation and there's two mics there and I'll try and mix both of them together. But sometimes I just end up going with the one that's inside Mm -hmm. and I can make that work on things. And when I'm in a studio, I almost always use a sample on the kick drum because Mm -hmm. it's just, sometimes it's not worth dialing it in. I mean, to me, in terms of how good the drums actually sound on their own, I feel like the kick drum is the drum that nobody messes with at all. Mm. And it's the thing that's probably getting hit as hard (laughs) or harder. I mean, it's getting kicked by a beater. (laughs) And nobody's going in there and checking the tuning on it on a regular basis. It just kind of sits there. So... And it's amazing how much just checking or fixing tuning on a kick drum can can lend itself to a better kick drum sound. It's sometimes it's not the mic. <laughs> the other issue with kick drums, I think, is placement of the drum itself on the stage. A lot of times, you know, if you're on really small stages, the distance between that drum and the wall behind it, you're mm-hmm. basically putting the drum in a null. So right. you're not getting the body and the fundamental of the drum at the microphone anyways because it's acoustically canceling out. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I just I always feel like I fight with kick drums more than any other drum in a lot of situations I'm in because of things like that. So I don't get too picky about it. I will say though, I have liked using the Sennheiser 902. Mm-hmm. Um, I just is, got one. Yeah, I like those. To me, they're a little hyped, but I think for some people that can be really helpful. Yeah, because you don't I have like to the coloring of it. Yeah, you don't have to EQ it. My biggest concern with having a microphone like that is okay. I like it now. How am I going to feel about it in five years? Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be sick of the sound. Like the kick mic that I had that I kind of liked was this EV. I think it was an RE320. It looks like an RE20, but it was like the reissue that they did a few years back. And I liked it because it was really, it was a little more neutral, I guess. Mm. And sometimes I like having microphones like that that are more neutral because I can shape them myself right. depending on what what's popular. You know, what is everybody trending towards in terms mm. of, sounds. You know, with something like a 902, it's like, well, that 902 has a sound, and it's a good sound, but it might not always be the preferred sound. So, I don't want to get stuck on that. If I walk in somewhere and they've got one, it's like, yeah, I'll use it. 
for sure. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that I'm going to like it, like I said, five years, 10 years from now. But I've been using those for 15 years, so... Yeah, and I had a conversation with a buddy recently who preferred the 52 over the 902. And in looking at his setup and in context of what he was doing, it made sense because the 52 is, air quotes, flatter and doesn't have as much coloration, I guess, to its sound, maybe, as the 902. And so for what he was trying to get out of it, it made sense why he liked the 902 better. But yeah, lately, you know, I've been using the 902 and then the uh, SE Electronics V-Kick, which is cool because it's got two toggle switches on it where you can change the uh, high-frequency response and the low dip at, like, I think it's like 120, 150, something like that. So you can very quickly go from a 52 ish sound to a audix d6 you know very scooped kind of sound but it's not to bash on a d6 it just it has a very unique sound to it that reminds me of something i wanted to mention a little earlier because we've been talking about audix and we're kind of (laughs) we're we're not painting the best picture of audix i actually do own an audix microphone the thing i will say about audix microphones is in my experience they don't work on everything but when you get a source that they work on, they work on it. Oh, yeah. And the D6 is awesome because it, it has a different sonic profile to it than a 52. Like if I'm doing anything pop or like heavy rock, if I had the three available, I would put a D6 on a kick in a heartbeat. I like what it's giving me over a 52 or a 902. So, yeah, I think it is about just finding what works for the sound you're going for. Yeah, the 52... I used to not have a lot of luck with it. And then I started changing the way I positioned it because, you know, most guys, they just kind of just pop it just inside the head. And I'm not usually crazy about that because I just Mm. feel like I just hear a whoosh of air blowing on the diaphragm. Yeah, it's just port woof. Yeah, so I usually stick it inside the drum. Like, usually I get Mm -hmm. that whole, which isn't usually easy to do based on the mic stands available. (laughs) But I usually like putting that in the hole a little bit. And the thing with the Beta 91 or 901, I usually put those closer to the resonant head in the drum than the batter head, because if you get it right on the batter head, it gets really clicky. And the thing about a 91 and a 52, if you put that 91 closer to the resonant head and you get that 52 just inside, basically the resonant head, you can get those two microphones a lot closer in phase Mm. that way so they can add together a little better. I haven't tried that. I'll have to try that next time I have the two of them laying around. Yeah, sometimes it works, not always. Yeah. A lot of times for me, I'm going for the 91 closer to the batter head specifically because I'm trying to get more click out of the drum without EQ. And sometimes I've, I also noticed recently just for myself, and I think it's just because I'm lazy and never changed it, but I was using the felt side of my kick mallet for the longest time just because that's just how I'd always had it. And uh, a friend of mine was doing some drum stuff and the first thing he did was flip the kick pedal around to where it was the plastic side on the head and there was instant, instantly more click and I felt like an idiot because I was like, well, duh. But I was like, why didn't I do that sooner? <laughs> well, I think it depends on, for me, that just depends on the drummer. I have asked some drummers to not use the felt 
side. Right. And that's I, he's a heavier footed drummer than I, which is fine. But like yeah. I just I play a little more reserved on kick. And so I was like, huh, maybe the problem isn't that I'm trying to EQ something or get something out of a mic. It's that I'm not lending again about the source. I'm not lending enough attack on the actual head of the kick drum for the sound I'm trying to, to get. Right. Um, than someone else might be. And so anyways, that was a recent aha moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all the source. Well, you know the the other mics we haven't talked about are the overheads. Yeah, and I so let me preface this, I guess, with there's stuff that I think you can get away with in the studio. Well, there's a lot of stuff you can get away with in the studio that just won't work live because of either bleed or the PA. But let's kind of take maybe we can take live first because I think that might be a shorter list. <laughs> than things you could do in the studio environment. Because you basically, there's to me, there's kind of two trains of thoughts usually. There's either the small diaphragm condensers or you have the larger diaphragm condensers. And, you know, I guess one of the oldest ones around has been SM81s, which I have my own opinion on. But that's a mic that I see everywhere. and Really? You know, People are still using those? Yeah. I, there's been at least half a dozen churches I've been in the last year where they were SM81s for overheads. It's usually that or uh, the Audix. I think it's the D51s, which I do really like. I know we've oh, bashed Audix. Oh, I see those. <laughs> I run into those. I like, yeah, I like their overheads. They sound great. Personally, I own a pair of Lawton LA120s, which are a... Uh, it's a small diaphragm condenser. You can change the capsule for an Omni or a cardioid. So it's definitely a wider pickup pattern. I don't know that you can necessarily use it live, but I just cut some stuff last week and was amazed at how good they sounded as an overhead because a lot of overheads that I'll use, and I know this can be positioned, but a lot of overhead mics I'll use, I feel like it's just a cymbal mic. And these ones with the room and everything felt more like an actual overhead of everything. I don't think that's the microphone. That's right. It can be positioning. Well, and it's, yeah, it's part of that too, but more Mm -hmm. than anything, it's player to me. Well, yeah, that's a good point. The drummers these days, since everybody has come up on Mm in-ears, I don't feel like as many drummers are used to just kind of playing in a really small room where they have to kind of learn to balance their playing so that they're not hitting the cymbals really hard. I mean, you go watch mm-hmm. videos of John Bonham, and he is not laying in on those cymbals like he is on the drums. I, he's not laying in on the drums as much as <laughs> people think he is either. But those guys, and and even going past, I mean, that's 70s, but a lot of those drummers, the really good ones, they know how to balance themselves and play a kit mix so that right. what you get at the overheads is actually a mix of the drums. And for me, this is a big consideration when it comes into the overhead mics and how I'm using the overhead mics. Because in a lot of cases, I do just use them as symbols because mm-hmm. that's all there really is in them because the guy is bashing away on them and everybody right. on stage is begging for me to turn down the overheads in their monitors. <laughs> and it's the vocal might bleed, but that's a different conversation. Well, yeah, that depends on the that depends on the, the room. But I've got people asking me to turn down Yeah, it's always less overs. Turn down the overheads and I'll say, how about he just doesn't play the cymbals as hard? Mm-hmm. And they look at me, they look at me like I'm an alien. Like <laughs> That, that's not possible. And it's like, well, yeah, it's possible. That's the way You're great, killing me in front of great house. <laughs> drummers play in the front row and, 
you know, next yeah. door. And <laughs> <laughs> well, so you said you said something earlier. So I, th- I think kind of maybe to put my, what I said in context when I'm cutting drums, because <laughs> I've been playing. I mean, I'm a young guy, but I've been playing a while. I'm pretty good about keeping stuff balanced in dynamics across the kit. And I like getting snare in my overhead where it's not just a cymbal mic, especially. I don't know. It's just I like the sound I'm getting. So going with something like the LA-120s, for me personally, when I've cut stuff, has been a really desirable sound. Anyways, we could go off to large diaphragms too, but in that small diaphragm, you know, vein. But I mean, what what's what are the stuff either that you're finding preferable in a small diaphragm mic or that you end up running into most of the times on, you know, church kits or house kits, whatever? You know, I don't really have a preference for a particular kind of overhead mic. I don't think, you know, I just use what's there. The thing I'm usually fighting with overheads, because in, in a perfect world, I would have a drummer who is playing very balanced. And mm-hmm. a lot of the drummers I work with, you know, they, they really do try and do that. And they, you know, I'll have conversations with them and they will vary their playing for the room and things like that. Because there's some rooms you go right. into and it's just the symbols. They barely breathe on them, and because you know they're surrounded by drywall or whatever, mm-hmm. they run away really fast. And right. I can have conversations with guys, and there there are guys who will alter their playing. But that's also part of the issue to me with overheads is just the acoustics of a stage. Mm-hmm. Right. So the minute you throw a shield up around drums and Ugh. I you know there's there's a lot of mixed opinions on drum shields the reason I use a drum shield is to keep cymbals out of vocal mics that's it mm-hmm. it's not to turn the drums down it's to turn the cymbals down and to try and contain them and keep them out of the vocal mics and they do right. work for that however all of the reflections going on because of that shield tend to make that overhead sound for me of Mm -hmm. trying to capture the whole kit, it's just not usually a really good... Well, it's just not as good of a sound. It's it's not what that drum kit would naturally sound like because you've got all of this bouncing around and smear and Mm -hmm. stuff happening. So a lot of times, even with a drummer who is really balanced in a live situation, I might end up using those overheads mostly as cymbal mics anyways because the kit that's in them, it's not as good, I right. guess. But I don't know, if I had to pick one or the other, if I had if I had both options in front of me, I'd probably lean towards large diaphragms for oh, overheads. Absolutely. But if you can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, but I you know, I don't mind the small diaphragms. In fact I did a project earlier this year and they were telling me what microphones they had available for them, and they had a they had a pair of four fifty ones, and I was like, "Ooh, I haven't used those yeah. in a long time. Yeah. Let's yeah. put those up on the overheads," and they worked fine. I know that it's maybe not necessarily that it's not a large diaphragm, but the one that I have seen a bit, and I don't know what your take on these is, but I've seen people put four fourteens for overheads, and there's some some of my favorite drummers that that's their overhead sound, either you know studio or on a live rig, they're using four fourteens for overs, and it sounds great. I think I've done some stuff with four fourteen. Well, I'm sure I have, and they're fine. I haven't ever heard them and gone. Oh wow, 
Mm-hmm. What is that on the overheads? Right. Like I, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. I think with an overhead mic right now is I I'm trying to stumble on something that I went, oh, that's amazing. I think there is some stuff that I felt that way about, but it was it was all like really expensive tube like yep. studio mics or something <laughs> like that, where I was like, oh my gosh, these overheads sound amazing, and yep. it was like, oh. But I'm not going to carry that to I'm, a gig. <laughs> I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to buy that stuff and I'm not going to put it on a gig. I used to like the Rode NT4, which was a stereo overhead. Yeah. I used that for a long time. And I know one some- sure has one. Yeah, they've got that. It's like a VP88, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So Tyler, our JJ's front of house guy has one and we've been using that for the last year. So I did a couple runs with that on overheads and- May I think part of the obsession with it sounding so good was going from under-miking cymbals with 81s to over-miking with a perfect stereo image. And it's yeah, just that'd like... that'd be way better. Whoa. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was a aesthetic thing for one. And in a smaller room, it was like, well, I don't necessarily need over. <laughs> it was more for ears than anything else, I think. Yeah, under, um, under-miking cymbals is not my favorite thing to do i've done it yeah there's some guys i've seen that make it work and it sounds great but i feel like you have to have the right mic and have the right player to make that usable i think mic choice is really important on that i had tried it i tried it with sm81s didn't like it i did like it a little bit when i used sure ksm 137s though i Mm -hmm. felt like those worked better but the placement was really, yep. really important in getting that right. I feel like it'd be bad for me to leave out the Sennheisers. I, I, uh, what is it? The 90 oh. or 911s, maybe? Not, it's the 900 series. They're small diaphragm mics because they sound awesome. I've used them I think for I've backline used those. on a couple shows. Yeah, they were really nice. I mean, I think most of those microphones, and we can get snobby and picky about, <laughs> about certain models, but honestly... That's a symbol mic. You can... <laughs> You can make them all work, even an SM81. Yes, we can yep. make them work. It's not the end of the world, you know, right. the simple thing. What have you used in terms of large diaphragms? Because the recent session I did, we had as the warm audio clone of U87s for overs, and they sounded, you know, obviously insane, but it's a studio environment. I haven't had an opportunity to use those. I'm trying to remember. See, I don't know what just we Just in use. general, some kind of a large diaphragm. See, the last time I probably did a studio session, I wasn't engineering. I bet I was mm. producing and wasn't even looking at it. <laughs> and because it was just like, hey, it sounds good. It works, yeah. Yeah. I've used probably 414s at some point. I've probably used, sure, KSM 44s, maybe KSM oh, yeah. 32s. Those work fine. The one thing I should say about overheads is. I always like to get them equidistant from the snare drum. Correct. If I'm doing a if I'm doing a spaced pair, I usually yep. and I know when possible. <laughs> yeah, like Robert Scoville has, he's got like this little speaker that he uses smart and gets it all phase aligned and does that. I don't have I don't have that and. <laughs> And I'm not on kicks where I'd have the time to set that up even. What I usually do is I usually, like for a long time, I used to have a piece of rope in my backpack and then I got a new (laughs) backpack and I don't know where the rope went. But I'll just grab... just use an XLR cable. That's what I was going to say. I'll just grab an XLR (laughs) cable or a guitar cable and I'll just measure it 
to the hi-hat side overhead mic, and then I'll swing it over to the ride side and just bring it down until it hits the tip of that cable, and Mm -hmm. there you go. Also, one thing I want to say about overhead mics, when you're making input lists, when you're labeling consoles, when you're labeling channels in a DAW, Mm -hmm. don't label them as overhead left and overhead right because <laughs> what's right? Perspective. Is it the drummer's yeah. right? Is it house right? Is it audience right? What is it? So label them as overhead hat, overhead ride, or overhead hat, overhead floor tom. Yeah, we have crash and ride on ours. Yeah, and it just makes it so much easier when you're trying to figure out panning later on Mm -hmm. down the line, or maybe you have a guest engineer comes in who's working in your church or in your studio or whatever, and he looks at it and he goes, oh, that's, I know which side is which. And especially if you're doing cymbals, and this is a more of a mixing thing, I always put my overhead mics on a stereo channel. Hmm. Actually, in Pro Tools, The way I do it now is I have the two mono channels feed into a stereo folder, like a stereo routing folder. Mm -hmm. And I do that because sometimes I might want to mess with the timing of them and I might want to mess with the level of them. Mm -hmm. But when I'm mixing in a live situation, I always put those on a stereo channel and I get the the mic pre's, then they're at the same level. The EQ is the same. It's not supposed to be like... To me, anyways, right. it's supposed to be a stereo mic of this one thing, of the drum kit. It's not like a mm-hmm. two different things. It's not like two Tom mics. It's right. the, the overheads. It's a yeah, pair. As long as you can get them equidistant, then yeah, put them on a stereo channel. And that yeah. normally means patching them one, two, seven, and 8, or 9 and 10. <laughs> or 11 and 12. Yeah. Or 19 yeah, and 20, enough. depending on how big the kit is. I mean, it, it could happen. <laughs> and has. I'm sure. Hey, so we've talked about everything on the kit, like as far as close mics, but what about room mics? Because that, like, to me at least, depending on what what the sound you're going for, like the room mic could be like half of the sound potentially. You know, maybe not half. You get what I'm saying. There's a large part of the drum kit that could be achieved from the room mic sound. And I think about like vintage, air quotes, recordings that were, you know, more kicking rooms than 10 close mics on a kit. (laughs) Yeah, and let me pause and back up a little bit right there because some of our listeners are more live sound guys. So Mm -hmm. when we start talking about room mics, they're thinking... Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Audience mics. We're not talking about audience. (laughs) So we're not talking about audience mics, everybody. We're talking about room mics. And it's in a studio... Yeah, in a studio environment, it's fairly common to mic the room to basically capture the sound of the room with the drums playing in it and Mm -hmm. use that in the mix. It can be quite a desirable, because like I I think about some drum tracking spaces that have, you know, either a brick wall with some other walls that are more absorbent or just 
a really lively room or a you know a larger room and so the reflections and stuff that are going on in the room are kind of made to give this bigger image and more lively reflective image of what's going on you know as the kit's bouncing around and and reflecting and stuff and so sometimes for the sound you're going for that's a desirable thing some people then put lots of gobos up and make it very you know small and controlled and tight sounding so but so to back to what you were saying to room mics what what's some stuff that you've kind of used in the past and and had success with on that i don't know about specific mics because usually again the yeah use what you have (laughs) i use i use what's there and and it's not something i I worry about too much placement wise that you would say, yeah, hey, here's something that, you might want to try. That is the one thing for me is whenever I'm using room mics and I actually did a live recording gig earlier this year and we were in a warehouse. It was the same thing. It was the same gig where I had the 451s going on mm-hmm. overheads. And I really liked the room in there because it was really live. And I did put a pair of, I think they were KSM 44s was what I had. At the time, okay, I did put those up to mic the room. The thing for me when I'm micing a room for the drums is I usually point the mics at the walls. Okay, I'm not trying to get the sound of the kit. I'm trying to get the reflected sound right. of the kit off of the walls. That's cool. So that was something, and that was something my buddy Dewey, I think, taught me years ago. Probably when we were recording my record. That was really a long time ago. But that was something I think he did because because the room he had in his studio at the time, that was a really cool drum sound in there. Mm-hmm. Like the room, it was, he had a really, really nice home studio and he had actually built it on and had dug deep. So it had probably, maybe, maybe I can talk him into coming on the podcast one of these days, but he had, it was like probably 14 foot, maybe even higher ceiling oh, wow. in there yeah. and drums in that room sounded really good that's cool one well, you you were at real to real studios down oh, on yeah. the south side of atlanta here one time when we were doing a drum session and i'll say two cool things that we did on this one particular they had just moved to a new pro tools hd3 rig so they got like a new computer and the new uh hdios and stuff and so we were basically just doing a test session with like just throw up a ton of mics put stuff all over the room because we basically just needed to verify that all of the inputs actually patched and worked and all of that. So we just went hand. We had, I think, 24, 25 mics on the kit total, which is excessive, obviously. Well, anyways, it was fun. But with the two things we did, there's a, a like an airlock to the hallway off of the main live room. And so we put, I think it was a Neumann 149, way up, you know, all the 10 feet in the air or whatever. And so this is probably 45, 50 feet at this point, you know, outside the live room, 20 feet down at the end of the hall and completely way away from the kit. But when we recorded it and then brought it back in, and I think we may have done some time aligning to it because it was so far out, but that very distant reflection thing was a cool, you know, filtered kind of sound in a way naturally because there wasn't a lot of low end getting to it. There wasn't a lot of high end getting to it. And it had this just, you know, chambered because it was down through a long hallway. So not everyone's going to have that kind of thing available for a space, but it was a cool thing. But as far as weirdest stuff in a good way, the engineer there, good friend of mine, Will McFall, he had this thing that what we did was we took a garden hose 
and we taped it to the end of 57. I think it was a 50 foot garden hose and went like two wraps around the kit. I think it was two wraps around the kit at maybe like a 20 foot wide circle or something like that. Yeah. And what, what it ended up giving was this basically the inverse of an overhead. Cause it was, you know, we had carpet on the floor, so there wasn't stuff like reflecting off the floor and it just gave this overall image of the whole kit that was a different sound from any of the close mics. It wasn't a room mic because it wasn't reflective. It wasn't just symbols. And there wasn't really anything over like 1K in it <laughs> or anything under about 100. So it was just this mids thing, which within reason sometimes ends up being something you cut out of a close mic because, you know, it's too quacky or too, you know, whatever. So it was just this cool, unique sound that I've never heard anywhere before. And I've never seen anyone do. Anyways, it was just a fun, cool, weird thing that he is like, hey, have you ever put a garden hose and a 57 on a kit? And we all start laughing. And he's like, oh, no, you're going to love this. And it was just like, wow, that's cool. I've never heard of that sound before. Yeah, I have actually, I've done that, the the garden hose thing. Sylvia Massey is who I saw okay. talk about it the most. That's one of maybe, maybe he got it from her. I'm not accrediting it to him. That's just who I saw do it. Yeah, and she's got videos, I think, on social media showing how she sets it up. Hmm. And the reason we had tried it was, I think the drums we had were in a fishbowl. And one of the things I miss sometimes doing live drums is there there are no room mics. You have to kind of construct that with reverbs if you want to do it, which... I mean, you can do it. It's not... It's not always the best sounding reverb. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's not quite the same to right. me anyway. So the thought was, it's like, oh, if we can fake a pair of room mics with mm-hmm. the garden hose, let's try and do it. So we tried it, and it didn't give me what I was looking for, I guess. Yeah, it's not this aha sound, but it's a, like if you were looking for an intro filter drum sound kind of thing to use like as an artistic sound thing it's a really cool it's not something you necessarily but at the same time like once we had the kit balanced and we muted that we're like man what what happened (laughs) like it was it was a cool part of the whole mix of 20 something drum mics i think something like that can be cool for you know when you're if you're trying to really construct a sound and be creative Doing things like that can be cool ways to do it. And, yeah. you know, I know some guys, they had a mic that they always called the trash mic. And mm-hmm. it was because they literally would stick it in a, they had a metal garbage can that they took with them. Oh, wow. And they would put it in this metal garbage can that would be in the room. And they would get the resonances of that thing from the, That's cool. probably the the lid rattling around on it. and Right. I did a fun thing last week. We were cutting drums here at my new place and my buddy James brought up a uh, Aventone CV12 which is a tube mic and uh, anyways we put it I don't know three feet off the ground about five let me look around about five six feet back from the kick drum out in front of it and uh, just took that mic and it sounded great on its own but then I just overdrove the uh in, once I had it in Pro Tools, overdrove it into a signal chain and compressed the heck out of it and just you know basically made it distort. And it was just this awesome, dirty, mono thing 
that you know again it's it's a, a not a close mic sound that's not an, a, a huge amount of low end or fizzy top end and it's not just cymbals and it just gives you more of the i don't know if it's per se in the room thing but there's there's just this it's not a glue we talked about this <laughs> it's it's a uh i don't know it's something in the mids that just i really like it it's something and i th- yeah, i think you mentioned a while back about like doing what people sometimes call the crotch mic putting a mic like over the kick is one you know spot with either a 57 and sm7b that's the two i've always seen i don't know if there's other mics people do this with but it's you know kind of a I don't know. I've heard people you've run it clean and I've heard people just distort the crap out of it and use it as a crushed trash mic kind of thing. But again, I don't think any of this stuff is really so much a live thing. It's more artistic ways to create something different in a studio environment. Well, I think you can do some of that stuff live if you really want to, especially and you know, for the guys who are listening who work in a lot of churches like we do, Sometimes you really you do have more of the flexibility to experiment with this kind of stuff because you're in the same spot every week. Right. You know, the kit's not moving a lot of the time. You can treat it a little more studio-ish sometimes because you're in the same environment all the time. You're not taking things mm-hmm. in and out in a lot of churches. But with a lot of those microphones, because sometimes I'll get sessions to mix with that stuff in there. And a lot of times I just dump it. Like I I always try it because if they recorded it, they were going for something. But right, if nobody has explained to me what they're trying to get <laughs> with it and what they're going for, a lot of times I hear it and I'm just like, it's, you know, again, going back to what I was saying about using multiple microphones. It's like, well, okay, this adds this cool texture, mm-hmm. but it just killed the snare punch right. on it. And I want, I think the drums, you know, on that song, they need to hit harder than this kind of crunchy thing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it would be too much or something. But sometimes that stuff sounds really cool. I mean, that's the, that's the side of engineering that I miss a little bit doing mostly live stuff and live recording kind of stuff. There isn't quite as much room to experiment, but you can a little bit. You just have to find the time to do it Yeah, and well, try things fun. out. That's the art in it to me. Yeah, well, and that's why I liked doing stuff in the studio for a long time right. was because you could go in and you could mess around and really experiment. And that was, I think, the experiments that I did in the studio were really beneficial for me when I did end up spending most of my time doing live sound because I knew all these different ways to get sounds and how to position microphones so that mm-hmm. when I didn't have the time to sit around and futz with placement and all these kinds right. of things, I could get everything 90, 95% there right mm-hmm. off the bat. And then it's just, oh, let me run to the stage and nudge a couple of things a little bit and then mm-hmm. go back out to front of house and okay now we're there right we're good to go so you know so you saying that that's a good uh, a quick another little dave tip if you're walking into a new space and you've never mixed at it before and I, I will say this because i've been guilty of doing this before in the past don't just walk up and live at the console like for one go say hi to the musicians like introduce yourself if it's your first sunday like guest engineering somewhere or whatever because like relationships are a good thing but 
go up and just look at stuff and like you know if <laughs> if the tom mics are sitting two millimeters off the drum head maybe <laughs> maybe we want to reposition those or the, if the kick drum mic is not where you want it for the sound that you're going to go for you know just there's a lot of times i've gone into guest engineer for someone at a church and it just looks like nothing's been kind of touched or looked at in a while or the drummer just swung the snare mic back over on the stand and it's like well that's not where it should be <laughs> well and i'll give you i'll give you a big one that i've bumped into is with the large diaphragm overheads one of them's upside down Oh, yes, yes. The threads on the mic stand are screwed up and the overhead's hanging instead of facing down. <laughs> well, no, or it's just they didn't, you know... The, oh, the mic in the shock mounted, the actual mic is upside down. Yeah, one of them is like the element. <laughs> the element is picking up the ceiling right. on one of them and, and not aimed at the drums. You're because, like, is it gain? No, it's not gain. It's not EQ. It's yeah, well, facing when the they, air. When the mic looks the same, no matter right which side you're you're looking yeah, at some some of them are not like road where they have a gold dot that tells you which side the capsule is on. Yeah. I mean if you look if you actually look at it, you should be able to tell which is the front. But I've <laughs> I've been sent tracks to mix where I'm sure one of the overheads <laughs> was upside down. And yep. I just had to make it work. But that's right. a, a big thing. You gotta check all that stuff. And you should be checking honestly, I think you should check that. Every single week, every mm -hmm. single day you are doing something with microphones, yeah. you should be looking at them and making sure everything is Yeah, it's your the buck right. stops with you. Make sure that it's right. Yeah, don't assume that, well, nobody's touched it. It's like, mm -hmm. you're right. Maybe nobody did touch it except gravity. That's the problem. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe gravity pulled it down, you know, because you had a you had a loose mic clip. I mean, I've run into so many fifty-seven clips right. that are loose, and I got to get a couple of screwdrivers and tighten them and do that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So hey, Dave, what what are to kind of bookend all of this? What stuff that you're working on lately? This week, I've been doing some music mixes for a church here in town, and also been doing some. Mixing and mastering for another one for their service online, doing that. And I think my schedule is going to start opening up in the next week or so with some downtime, which for me is always scary. But, you know, if I get a few days off, I will, <laughs> I would actually be okay with that at this point. I'm just, I'm just kind of happy that through this whole pandemic, People mm -hmm. have been calling and asking me to do it, and I just really appreciate all of my clients so much for yeah, for sure for trusting me with their stuff and for sending me stuff to do, and it's yeah. been great. What about you? What have you been working on? Uh, well, I just moved to the Marietta area. So I've been getting my space set up and everything. And so I did, I mentioned this earlier, I did some drums here uh, last week. A buddy of mine's just, we're, it's kind of a fun project, I guess. I know he's going to release it, but we're uh, doing a cover of a worship song. And so it was a good a good way for me to break in kind of the space and say, hey, I don't know what drums are going to sound like. And, and I mean, I was very happy with the results I got after all, but... Uh, it was a good way to kind of break in the space and see what does drums sound like here, you know, kind of to me, it like as a musician, you can either have a good vibe or a bad vibe in a room. And 
you know, so it's it's nice having friends over to come create music and hang out and jam and and just you know have good times playing music and enjoying music. So that's it's it was a good week last week, and then uh, just wrapping up some ends on installs and stuff like that, new projects. So cool. Well, where can people get a hold of you on social media if they want to reach out and say hi? Yeah, uh, best place to keep up with me is on Instagram, mgproatl. My website is also the same, mgproatl.com. Still working on getting that finished. Um, so those are those are the two best, best places to keep up with me. What about uh, people wanting to follow what you're doing, Dave? Sure. Well, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at FOHDave, Instagram, FOHDave1. Going2Eleven.com is the website where... You can find articles and more podcasts like this one. And, you know, reach out, say hi. If there's there's something you want to hear us talk about, let us know. We're looking for ideas, topic ideas. If there's people you think we should talk to and add into the conversation, please let us know. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>